This is West of Everest. I am Lee Benson. Joining me as always is Grant Benson, and it's here. The big season preview show. What is this, Grant? Uh, year six this of West of Everest? Six. The sixth season. Sixth season of West of Everest, our sixth big season preview show. And if you're new to the uh, new to the podcast, what we do is we just we talk about what's going to happen this college football season for a long, long time. But the thing is, though, this time we're changing things up. We've decided that the first five years of the podcast, the format, it's grown a bit stale. And so now we want to change things up in a different direction. And as the show goes on, we'll explain that direction. But before we get to the big season preview, let's talk about some current events. What's happened since the last episode. And I think the big news is something that you brought up last episode. And I was a little more skeptical on. But I think as time has gone on, you've been proved to be correct. The uh, Anton Harrison being left out of Brent Venables' discussion a week ago when it talked about the offensive line and the tackles more precisely. It would appear that that was uh, just an oversight by Brent Venables. Anton Harrison is good to go. He's fine. He's one of the best tackles in camp. In an exclusive interview with News 9 this week, uh, actually Dusty Dvorak interviewed Brent Venables for our upcoming football special to air on News 9 on uh, next Tuesday, as you're listening to this podcast, next Tuesday. And Dusty asked Venables about Anton Harrison because he said, hey, you know, like, we, uh, you know, some of us were wondering why he didn't mention him. And uh, the first person that Venables brought up when talking about the offensive line was Anton Harrison. And Venables went on to say that as far as tackles, he mentioned Anton Harrison, Wanya Morris, Tyler Guyton, and Jacob Sexton as the four tackles that are playing really well. And then he went on to mention five guys on the inside. So I know last week, Grant, he mentioned the two Jakes along with Wanya Morris and Tyler Guyton. So for whatever reason, uh, I would guess that uh, that Anton Harrison is, is so established and, and so entrenched in the offensive line that Brent Venables just didn't even think to mention him because it's so obvious that he's one of the players that's uh, playing so well and he is your starting left tackle. So I think you kind of hinted at that, and it looks like you were right. Yeah, I think um, not verbatim, that's pretty much what my argument was. Um, and yeah, I mean, some people, you know, head coaches have a lot on their plate. They have to talk to a lot of people on a daily basis. It's totally rational, totally acceptable if, if something slips his mind. And I just, I, you know, if that were true, like that, that would have been the very first time we had ever heard of any sort of issues with Anton Harrison. And to me, it just, it didn't pass the smell test considering that Anton Harrison, from what we know right now, is the best offensive lineman on the team. And it just, it just didn't, that didn't make any sense to me. But I'm, that- I'm, I'm glad to see that, that it was, it was just an oversight. And what you just said is backed up by Dusty Dvorak. Uh, talked to him. He's talked uh, on the Oklahoma Ford Sports Blitz. He, from what he's seen, what he's heard, what he's heard is that he, uh, Anton Harrison's the best offensive lineman in camp, best offensive lineman on the team. So uh, I guess I got to say that, I mean, I was a little skeptical about it because I was taking Brent Venables at his word, and we're still new to covering Brent Venables. We're still new to kind of hearing how he talks about the team, how he describes the position groups, and so – I was taking him at his word, and it just turns out that sometimes coaches just kind of forget to mention certain guys, and maybe that's something that Brent Venables will do from time to time. And now moving forward, I will keep that in mind anytime that he brings up position groups or players. I'll think, oh, there's a possibility that he's left somebody out, and then also it keeps us on our toes in the media that we got to make sure to ask follow-up questions if there's anything that he says that might sound questionable. So it's a learning experience, and all the way around, though, it's good news for Oklahoma. I mean, there you go, though. I mean, you caused a storm with your tweet, though, last week. 
or whenever it was. <laughs> you did, man. It was a thing. It was a thing. There was a. I was gonna say there was there was much of a panic, but everyone kind of had the same reaction I did. It was like oh, that didn't really sound right. I mean, I, you know, again, I'm just taking the head coach at what he said. You know, my job is to report what the coach says, and this is great. I mean, that we got is this, what I did. We have this dynamic, right, where you the, you're the journalist and I'm I'm the fan, and and this is this is one of those instances where that back and forth was really beneficial, right? Because I can call <laughs> you out when you have a blind spot, and you're being a little too rational, a little too logical. And I'm just like, no, nah, that was stupid. What he said. Well, this will be the last episode. Grant will be on West of Everest, so I appreciate your time here. Uh, I guess you can I, stick if, around. If anyone who has ever this is season six, Lee. Everyone who has ever listened to the show knows that I am the bastion of rationality, <laughs> of being measured, and not letting emotion dictate what I say on the mic. Yeah, well, everyone knows that. Yeah, there's plenty of examples for that and evidence in the past that suggests everything you said there is true. And we'll, and we'll definitely have that same thought when this episode's over with, after all your predictions and thoughts about the 2022 season have been put in podcast form. Uh, okay, well, I, I am happy that uh, Anton Harrison sounds like he's doing well, and there's no sort of uh, controversy within the offensive line. That is good news all the way around. Well, uh, what is not good news, in, in a way, um, it's, it's not going to affect the team that much, but as far as a career... Uh, especially uh, uh, more specifically a football career. Uh, another piece of small piece of news that came out this week is that Brendan Walker has decided to retire from football. Now, Brendan Walker, uh, he is a, I believe this is going to be his junior season, a Bishop McGinnis grad. Uh, if you're in the Oklahoma City area, McGinnis, a private school, a really good player in high school. Um, I think only a three-star prospect for Oklahoma, but he was a guy that I knew a little bit about, when he was recruited by Oklahoma, didn't know a whole lot, but kind of thought, okay, I like his size. I, I like, you know, what he did at McGinnis. He was considered a, you know, the best player on their team, one of the best players on their team. I thought, okay, maybe he can carve out a role, given the right coaching, if if things kind of fall in line. But Brendan Walker, he was always injured. I mean, every time I feel like I would see him on the sidelines, he was never dressed, and and that's what he cited. He he tweeted out, I believe Saturday, Sunday or Saturday of this past week that he was going to retire or walk away from football, and he cited being injured a lot in his first couple of years at Oklahoma and that uh, the current staff is going to let him stay on as what he called, quote, a defensive assistant. So uh, if you're going to walk away from football, that's that's difficult, I'm sure, a guy that's done it for so long. And, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's what you've always known, and then you got to stop doing it. At least, though, he's not going to be away from the team. The coaching staff is going to let him be on as, uh, I mean, He's an assistant coach, but I mean, he's a, he's a player on the roster. It's kind of reminds me of probably what Jeremiah Cradell is doing right now. Jeremiah Cradell walked away from the game. He's kind of on staff, but I'm not really sure officially what his role is. Maybe a grad assistant or something in that realm. So, anyways, that's kind of the other piece of news. Brendan Walker walking away. Uh, best of luck to him. I think he wants to be a doctor when he grows up. So, I mean, he's one of those guys, one of those smart kids that uh, has actually goals and dreams and aspirations beyond football. What a what a what a jerk. Yeah, I mean, I wish him well. Wish him well. He's a guy who, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I kind of always identified him as, as a bit of a project. I know he was a guy who was, he kind of came in with a good athletic profile and he needed to be developed. And, and it just didn't sound like he, he was he was ever able to stay healthy. Um, I, I do recall, you know, him getting on the field, I think, you know, once in, in, in 2020 or so every now and then he looked OK. He looked like he belonged, uh, but nothing, you know, nothing huge or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, it sounds like he had back issues. And, uh, you know, I'm a guy like I'm not I'm not plagued with back issues, but I've had moments in my life where I've had really, really bad. And 
I, I, I get it. I mean, that, that stuff, ru- it ruins your life. I mean, it's awful. And so, like, I, I can totally see why uh, he feels like it's time for him to step away. Um, be totally honest with you. He's a guy, you know, after, I think, last season, he was a guy that no one really talked about last season. So I think I had kind of already moved on in my head. I was like, yeah, this is a guy who's probably just never really going to make an impact here. Um, so hopefully he can make an impact in another way. And, um, so yeah, he's, like you said, he's going to be a doctor. It's like, yeah, I, I, I totally share your, share your feelings on that one. The guy's a huge jerk. Hate that guy. <laughs> but, um, he's a dude, he's a guy like, I, I just want to bring this up because this is something that I always thought about when I, about Brendan Walker. And this is something that I felt that I thought that only I really ever brought up and ever thought about, but I, I've been corrected about that just recently just because I've been seeing it. Um, I was a guy who always talked about looking at a guy's like a mugshot or like whatever, like his, his picture on the, on the roster online and looking at his face and being like, does that guy look like he can play in the NFL? Cause like everyone in the NFL, like kind of has a certain look. And I guess like they've, um, I've heard, I've heard Kerry Murdoch talk about that lately. He calls it athletic head. <laughs> Brennan Walker has athletic head. It's basically what I'm trying to say. So I, I, I got myself all excited about Brennan Walker. I was like, ah, that guy, that dude looks like a guy who, you know, you could, I could totally picture his mugshot like on the Detroit Lions website or something. Mm-hmm. And oh, so I just, I just wanted to throw that out there. Athletic head is absolutely a thing. And that I mean, it makes me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. I yeah, like it. Cool. It yeah. is. It's a thing. Yeah, be careful with that. DeMarco yeah. Murray is the is is the leader in athletic head. He has the most <laughs> athletic head I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, you know, he gets busy. You know, he's really in the wit, uh, the gym. Sure, get that that look. You know, that's uh, very important. Mm. We do spend a lot of time on this podcast <laughs> talking about the physical appearance of of eighteen to twenty two year old <laughs> dudes, and sometimes assistant coaches that are in their thirties and or forties uh, that are in great shape and look like they could still play multiple downs hey, that's our, in the NFL. That's our classmate you're talking about, man. We went to school with him. Okay? Yeah, you're right. I guess he's in his 30s. Wow, yeah. Sometimes I forget. I forget that DeMarco Murray was at OU when we were at OU, and he's basically our age. That's right. That's, uh, you know. Very quick- first, my very first day of class in August of 2008, walking past Dale Hall and seeing DeMarco Murray just sort of walk walk past me with, like, he was he, he was carrying, like, a binder or something in his right hand. And that was like for me. That was like little old eighteen-year-old Grant first year at OU. That was kind of that was that was a really cool experience for me. The guy that I had seen on TV like the previous like two years, and I just walked past the guy. I was like, "Oh, this is so cool." You know, speaking of that, real quick, is it just me? It can't be just me. The phenomenon when you're growing up and you're watching college football, and you're not in college yet. You're a kid. You're in middle school. You're in junior high. Whatever. You're in high school and you're watching college football. These college players seem like they're so old. And then you get to college and you're like, all right, well, like I'm the same age as these guys for the most part, but they still kind of feel like, all right, they're kind of just out there. They're different. But now that you and I are, we're in our mid thirties or, you know, early to mid thirties, how young these college football players are and seem, but like how old they felt whenever you're only a couple of years younger than them, that is a weird dynamic in being a human being and growing up watching college football and college sports in general. Yeah, being alive is, just is weird. No, being alive is weird. You're right. You just, yeah, you just you just pointed out a, a weird thing about about being alive, for sure. <laughs> that's, what, that's what this podcast does best. We, we point out certain things about being a human being and just being existing in this universe. Weird stuff about it we comment on it uh speaking of that let's comment on college football 
And so I mentioned at the top that this big season preview is going to be different than the past. So if you're a, a longtime listener, you know that in the past we have gone specifically through a lot of different categories within Oklahoma's roster. We'd ask who's going to be the leading rusher, who's going to be the leading pass catcher or receiver, who's going to be the most important player on the team besides the quarterback, categories like that. And so we thought, you know what? That got a bit stale. Let's change things up. Let's try to think outside the box and do something that maybe other OU-centric podcasts will not be doing or, honestly, any other podcast uh, will be doing. And so uh, Grant had the idea, and I think it's a good idea, and, and I back him up on this. He thought, you know what? What if we bring up certain things or ideas that we have had about Oklahoma or other people have had about this team uh, that are positive, which are a lot because – we're all pretty positive about the way this team is going to play this year and the way the season is going to go. But what if we bring up certain certain uh, sentences or aspects of the team? Assumptions. Assumptions, predictions, if you will. And we argue the other side. And we play devil's advocate. And we act as, if you will, maybe a national media member. Or not even national media member. Maybe a media member that works in the SEC and covers Arkansas and doesn't cover OU and, and doesn't know much about OU and maybe has surface-level thoughts about Oklahoma. And if they were tasked with talking about Oklahoma, what would they say? You know, How would they rebut a claim made by somebody like you and I or anybody else in the OU beat media that's talking about Oklahoma in a positive manner? And so we're going to bring up some prompts and there are things that we've probably said on this podcast or things that you've heard positively about Oklahoma. And our job is going to be to push back and say what somebody on the outside would say this to, to uh, I guess, argue and say, no, you're wrong. This is why you're wrong about this. We're going to pick them apart a little bit. That's the idea of this. We want to, we want to push back on the conventional wisdom that a lot of the fan base has had over the course of the summer. Not necessarily because we we believe all the things we're about to argue. I don't think that's the case at all. Uh, but I think this could bring up some really interesting discussions. Maybe, maybe, um, maybe show us some blind spots that we're not sure that we have. Because um, right now, everything feels a little too cheery, a little too positive. And uh, you know what? That's what it was like last year, and the season sucked. And I don't want that to happen again. And I don't want to be taken. I, I don't want to be taken by surprise. So I think we should kind of have some fun here. We should try to pick this team apart as best we can. And I like I, I agree with you that there's gonna be some stuff that I say here that I don't believe, but a lot of the stuff that I've, you know, the prompts that I've written down, I think these things can be intellectually defended. And I think these things are rational, and I think these are things that as a fan base, if someone's gonna say it, we should have an answer for it. Or we should have some sort of way. We should just get it right. That's what we're trying to do here. And so I wanna like and yeah, I, I thought I thought the last format that we did with predicting those that that's boring as hell. Let's not do that anymore. Let's have a little fun. So what we're doing, it's the same principle, and you know, who knows how many of you out there that listen to this show follow current events, follow politics uh, a lot, you know, are into it. it. You know, if you are, you are. If you're not, you're not. But uh, there's something out there where you have to be, it, it's important that you can argue the other side's point, maybe about as good as you can argue your own side's point, because in that way, you can better understand every side. And that's kind of the idea behind this is that, you know, we're obviously biased here. This is an Oklahoma football podcast. But what we try to do, and I think a lot of people in Oklahoma beat media for the most part, we try to be realistic with you. And we don't want to always have our crimson colored glasses on because we respect you as listeners and we respect the game and we respect just 
life in general. It's not fun whenever you just try to paint over every single issue because it's impossible that everything is positive. That's not how life works. And so it's it's important to be able to understand where somebody else could be coming from. And if we can uh, argue the other side, I think that will, like you mentioned, Grant, that'll better help us understand maybe some blind spots that we have about this current team. And when the season begins, we'll be able to assess, you know, like where were we correct? Where were we wrong? What have we missed? Uh, and there's certainly always going to be things that we just don't know and we can't predict. And we'll just kind of assess those when we get there. And so I think this could be fun and I'm looking forward to it. And are you ready to go with the first prompt? Yeah, I could also. I also think this could be a disaster, but <laughs> it's. I think it's going to be really good. We're going to. I'm. Gonna, I'm. I'm going to commit to the bit here. So I hope you're ready. <laughs> All right, prompt number one. We're going to go offense first, then we'll go over to the defense, and then from there on out, you know, all else goes. We'll see where it goes. First up, here is a prompt. Here's something that you've probably heard on this podcast, or you've heard on other OU podcasts, or you've read in, in OU media. And it goes like this. Sure, Oklahoma lost Caleb Williams to USC, but bringing in Dylan Gabriel to pair with Jeff Lebby is about the best situation the Sooners could have put themselves in. Lebby and Gabriel have a great relationship. Lebby's a young, up-and-coming offensive coordinator, and it's reasonable to expect Oklahoma's offense in 2022 to actually be better than Oklahoma's offense in 2021. Now, Grant, Surely at least one national college football writer or TV personality or you name it, social media personality, they'd have a huge problem with that previous statement. So what is the best argument for why that person would be correct to push back against what I just said? Sure. And so, hey, this is I'm, I'm coming at this. I want to look at this as someone who is intimately familiar with this program, but I also want to look at it like I'm a Texas fan. How would I pick this team apart if I was a Texas fan? And to that, to that exact statement that you just made, here's essentially what I would say to that. I actually, I actually wrote down an answer to that. Here's what I'd say. Dylan Gabriel was inconsistent with his accuracy at UCF and statistically hasn't been as explosive as even Spencer Rattler in his career. Is there a chance that Dylan Gabriel isn't very good? I wasn't super enthused when I first heard he was OU's replacement for Caleb Williams. What if that intuition is actually correct? And honestly, that would be fair because uh, you look at his completion percentage, Dylan Gabriel's, it's not great. The, the, the big selling point for Dylan Gabriel is his yards per attempt. He pushes the ball down the field. He takes shots. Uh, and last season, before he got hurt, he was completing a lot of passes. Granted, though, that was not with Jeff Levy. That was in a different offensive system. He's back in Jeff Levy's offensive system for the first time in a couple of seasons. Uh, and he played really well. Uh, aside from the completion percentage, though, he had a lot of touchdown passes, very few interceptions. He didn't turn the ball over very often. Uh, but he's a guy who's small of stature. He's coming off of an injury. Uh, he's fully healthy now, they say. But when a guy gets hurt and it's your upper body, it's uh, you never know. Maybe, maybe it can get in your mind. It can mess with you mentally. And you throw in the fact that he had learned a brand-new offense before. Now he's relearning Jeff Lebby's offense, even though he's familiar with it. There could still be a learning curve, and everybody around Dylan Gabriel is still learning the offense for the first time as well. Uh, just because he knows it really well and Jeff Levy knows it really well doesn't mean that everybody else is going to be able to run it flawlessly like those two potentially may. So there could be some hiccups there, considering that now Oklahoma is going to a brand new offense uh, from an offensive coordinator and an offense and a guy like Lincoln Riley, who many times on this podcast for over the years, we've talked about how he's the, the, the best offensive mind in college football. And 
he's no longer at Oklahoma. So you're trying to tell me that Lincoln Riley leaving a program is actually going to result in that next offense being better? That sounds crazy. Lee, for as frustrating as the offense was last season, and, I, and like I'm saying, hey, this is me picking this apart, right? Lincoln Riley is objectively better than Jeff Lebby at drawing up plays that work. OU lost the best offensive coordinator in the country, and the fan base expects the offense to be better this year. Is that even rational? I mean, on the surface, no, it's not. Uh, I, I do know Jeff Lebby, though. We look at the statistics from the past few years. In a lot of ways, have been better than Lincoln Riley's offenses, though, and that's the feather in the cap for Jeff Lebby. In terms of like, in terms of raw yardage and stuff, right? In terms of like yards per play, absolutely not. In fact, I think I think in terms of like yards per play and all and, and everything, Jeff Lebby's offenses, I drastically lag behind Lincoln Riley. I'd have to bring up my stats. And I, and I I I that I do know that's the case. I don't know if it's drastically like that, but it, it's 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 enough to make you go, oh crap. And again, I'll just repeat. I mean, this is a guy that is considered the best offensive mind in college football. We've talked about it multiple times on this podcast before. And up until 2021, and up until, honestly, November of 2021, uh, he was the man. I mean, he was the guy. And now he's no longer with the team. So uh, maybe all of us here that cover Oklahoma and follow Oklahoma for the last eight, nine months, we've talked ourselves into that not being a big deal. When in actuality, it is a big deal, and we're just not seeing it right now. Can I go back to Dylan Gabriel, too? Sure. Dylan Gabriel in 2020, which was his last full season as a starting quarterback, he had a really good season. He did. He threw 32 touchdown passes with only four, with only four picks, threw for over 3,500 yards, and that was, only in, that was only in 10 games, I think. And so that's about 350 yards a game. That's outstanding. If he throws for 350 a game at OU, they're, they're, they're going to be a really good offense this season. But Lee, when I look at his game log from 2020, I see games in which he played off the top of my head. I'm looking at this just from my, my knowledge of the season. He played three good defenses that season. He played against BYU, against Tulsa, and against Cincinnati that season. Uh, UCF lost all three of those games, and Dylan Gabriel was not particularly good in any of them. Against Tulsa, that was the first one. He was 28 of 51. He did throw for 330 yards, but he needed 51 attempts to get there. Threw one touchdown, one pick. His quarterback rating was 111.8, which is not particularly good. Uh, he played against Cincinnati later in the year. He went 26 of 49 for 243 yards. He needed 49 attempts to get to 243 yards. That's that's very bad. That's bad. Um, and then against BYU in the Boca Raton Bowl later that year, man, was was downright atrocious. He was 21 of 45 for 217 yards. Yeah, that's not good. That's not great. I will say, though, I did find the stats about Lebby versus Riley the last two seasons, and Lebby's numbers in some pretty important categories are better at Ole Miss the last two years. Uh, raw yardage, more per game. You mentioned yards per play. In 2020, each team, OU and Ole Miss, each averaged seven yards per play. In 2021, OU averaged 6.7, Ole Miss 6.5, so not a big difference there. Uh, explosive plays. Uh, Oklahoma had one more explosive play than Ole Miss in 2020. Ole Miss had seven more explosive plays in Oklahoma last year. Uh, but also, you got that's a really misleading stat because I, I wouldn't be surprised if Ole Miss ran 33% more plays than OU did last year, maybe even more than that. Because, like, remember, that was, 
and I know I'm, I'm trying to, I'm supposed to be pushing sure. back on stuff like this right now. Um, but one of the, the most maddening things about Lincoln Riley in his last handful of years at OU is that they played at a crawl on offense. They didn't run a lot of plays. Mm-hmm. And that like, and, and I'm, I'm more of a guy who really, really prefers the middle, the middle ground there. You should go really, really fast when you have the other defense on their heels. You shouldn't, you, you shouldn't let the other, the other defense, you know, catch their breath and know exactly what you're doing at all times. It kind of felt like that's what Lincoln Riley was, was comfortable with allowing last season and maybe even the last handful of years too. Well, for whatever it's worth though, the last two seasons, Ole Miss averaged more explosive plays per game than Oklahoma in the last two seasons. And uh, I know Ole Miss ran a lot more plays than OU, but that was a choice by Oklahoma. So that's that's the backup Jeff Levy. But to get back to the prompt, though, this offense, yes, it's something that Dylan Gabriel is familiar with, that Jeff Levy uh, handpicked Dylan Gabriel. But also it's an offense that goes really, really fast. And what if it fails? What, what, what if there's times where, uh, as we discussed a couple of episodes ago, I mean, what if they start to stall and they punt a lot more? And it's an offense that Brent Venables is not used to coaching defense within. So there's also that factor that uh, not just the offense, but the defensive, uh, I guess, synergy could be off. And uh, it's, it's a small thing, but it's something to, to take into account because, again, if you want to try to argue that everything's going to be better on offense this year compared to one of the best offensive minds the last couple of seasons. Uh, I think the defense plays into it as well. And, and, and if a coach is not used to it, bad things could happen. I will. I do want to, I do want to push back on, a, on something you said there about BV just, just a little bit, because I, I, I definitely grant and concede that he, he, you know, he's not fully used to pairing a defense with this type of offense but I do think it's relevant that he was the defensive coordinator for the 2008 OU team, which did go at a lightning pace, a pace that probably is going to be pretty similar to the pace that they go to this season. Um, and personally, I think that's the best OU team of all time in terms of effectiveness and in terms of who they could line up and beat on any given day. What so are you trying I, I to think, do? Trying to, trying to argue for Oklahoma now? You're trying to argue for OU? This I got, is supposed I mean, to be the other side. I just, like, whenever, whenever, <laughs> I can, whenever I can bring up that 2008 team, I'm going to because that no. team was utterly amazing. No, that's a good rebuttal. And honestly, what I just said about the the speed of the offense, I, I I'm I'm already walking it back. It, it's it's not a good point. So if an, another national media member said that or somebody else ha- made that argument, that's a bad argument. That that's irrelevant to the conversation. And I fell for it. Uh, but also, I, I there are ways that you can push back against the because like I flatly right now, and this is actually something I do believe. Uh, Jeff Lebby, his 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 mantra of going fast at all times. I understand that he's trying to build like the culture and the routine of doing that. And that's just like their identity going fast all the time is, is in terms of football savviness. It's just not very wise. It's not very smart. Um, I, I, I really think that you should pick, pick and choose your spots when you're going to go fast. And uh, cause like when, when you're going fast as a rule at all times that you're, OU is going to get into into times this season when the offense does bog down and things are not working and things are not really clicking very well. And when you're still going lightning lightning pace speed doing that, I think you can really turn a, maybe a bad offensive quarter into a disaster of an offensive game. Let's move the conversation along. We're sticking with the offense, more precise on a different position. We talk more quarterback and Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Lebby. The next prompt goes as this. Marvin Mims, Theo Weiss, Jaleel Farouk, and Drake Stoops are a darn good group of wide receivers. Oklahoma's also got some players behind them with more talent than outsiders probably realize. 
even with Jaden Hazelwood and Mario Williams gone, Oklahoma's wide receivers are in better position going into this season than in 2021. Now, imagine you're an ESPN College Football Live analyst, and your job is to push back against that claim. Grant, what do you say? I mean, Mims has been great in spurts, but he seems like kind of all or nothing, right? And, like, what do we really know about Theo Weiss other than he dropped, like, 20 touchdown passes two years ago? <laughs> and I don't know, man. That OU fan base sure is putting a lot of faith in this dude named Jaleel Farouk based on – I mean, I see he had, the, he had a few catches in the, in the Alamo Bowl, and I guess he's been part of some anonymous reports in the offseason of him being good, but what if he's not very good? Yeah, no, I mean, that's – on top of that, Mario Williams is a player highly recruited – flashed at times he was one of the leading receivers along with Jaden Hazelwood in 2021 at Oklahoma that's I think I believe that's your two your top two receivers at Oklahoma in 2021 they're both gone so your two best receivers are out the door and and you're telling me that this group of receivers are actually better I don't know about that uh, you mentioned how uh, Theo Weiss hasn't done anything since 2020 whenever he had a pretty good year but also dropped a lot of passes Marvin Mims disappeared for large spurts of a season ago uh, and now all these guys are learning a brand new offense. I mean, the fact that, uh, or the, the thought of them picking up and, and hitting the ground running and having better seasons and playing, uh, you know, better than a season ago, that seems a bit far fetched. And it seems like you're drinking the Kool Aid a bit. Maybe. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that drop in. All right. Let's more position specific uh, prompts. Oklahoma's running back situation is in better shape right now than it was last year at this time. I'll start first here. If, if I'm in charge of pushing back against that claim, I'd say, well, hold on, time out, wait a second. So you're telling me that a team that lost Kennedy Brooks, one of the best running backs statistically in Oklahoma history, you can uh, put his stats up against a lot of players in this program over time, they're actually better now? I don't know about that. Eric Gray is a player that uh, I know Oklahoma had high hopes for in 2021 and was more mostly a bit player in Lincoln Riley's offense. Lincoln Riley couldn't even figure out a way to get this guy going and consistent. How the heck is Jeff Levy going to figure that out? Lincoln Riley knows so much about offensive football. He figured out Kennedy Brooks because Kennedy Brooks is really good. Why couldn't Eric Gray figure it out? And beside those two players, uh, there's not much talent on that team. I mean, Marcus Major was on that roster last year. He's on this roster. He didn't do anything last year. Why do we think he's going to do something this year? Sure, they got a, a, a couple new players, uh, a couple freshmen. So what? Uh, they got a transfer player from UCF. Okay, sure, he might be able to do something, but uh, he's from UCF. Maybe he'll get 20 to 30 carries. I don't I don't. And is he better than Kennedy Brooks? No. So the thought of... Right now, just because there's more bodies in the room, they're in a better position. I don't know. I'd prefer to have Kennedy Brooks in that running back room with, I guess, a guy like Eric Gray to every once in a while get a touch here and there. But Brooks is so much better than anybody else in that locker room. And so the thought that they're better off right now is egregious. Yeah, this is actually one where I think this is this is the most realistic one. I, I And I said this on the last podcast. The running back room is the biggest question mark on this team. Um, and this is actually just being objective. Eric Gray was a massive disappointment last year. Marcus Major has been on a milk carton the entire time he has been at OU. And their third string, the presumed third string right now, is a true freshman who didn't really have a lot of carries in high school. 
I, I this this is one this is a massive question mark for this team. It's a it's a question mark right now objectively. I think every I think everyone in this fan base should be should be questioning this this position because I, I it's 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 the one right now on paper that OU has the least amount of answers for. All right, so that's the offense. Let's flip the script over to the defense. And many a times on this podcast, and I'm sure you've heard outside this podcast, you know, we've talked about the Oklahoma defense, and we're pretty positive and we're pretty hopeful about the Oklahoma defense. So the prompt would be or is Oklahoma's defense in 2022 is going to be better than it was in 2021. If you're on a uh, syndicated national radio show, if Colin Cowherd has you on to talk college football and you're somebody who covers Penn State for a living and he asks you about the Big 12 in Oklahoma and he tells you that Oklahoma's defense is going to be better than it was in 2021, what do you say? I mean, like, OU's defensive culture the last seven or eight years has sucked. I know. I. I mean, we've we've talked a lot about culture on this podcast, and we know that culture doesn't just change overnight. Why do we expect Brent Venables to come in and the defense just to be really good all of a sudden? Doesn't that doesn't that maybe cheapen the success that he had at Clemson? It sort of cheapens like the work that they had to put in. That they weren't super great on defense when he first got there. They had to recruit and build and learn and teach to get to that point. I don't know. Like I know a lot of OU fans have been like. Hey, we, myself included, have said there's actually a lot of people, a lot of contributors back on this team, a lot of guys who have played college football. And that is true. That is true. But what happens if the guys that return on defense just aren't that good at football? And that was the main reason why their defense sucked last year. Um, like, and I'm saying, if, if, if I was a fan, an opposing fan of OU, that is what I would be saying right now. Why do we magically expect Deshaun White and David Igwebe to be really good players all of a sudden? Why do we expect this secondary to all of a sudden be good at playing defense and being able to stop the pass? Uh, the defensive line was good the season ago, but Nick Benito's gone. Isaiah Thomas is gone. Perion Winfrey is gone. And Benito and, and Thomas, from what I've seen, have made some waves in training camp right now. Brian Osamoa is gone, uh, a linebacker. So they've lost a lot of talent to the NFL, and they're going to be better in 2022 just because Brent Venables will magically wave his hand and say, all right, you guys are better at defense. Yeah, that seems a bit far-fetched. It takes time to build defense. And even though uh, Brent Venables is one of the best defensive minds in the game, as you said, the culture on defense the past few years, even with Alex Grinch, uh, it was good at times, but dropped off a cliff in 2021. Something was missing. Something was broken. And the thought and the uh, of... of that being fixed in one year's time and, and you know, being, I suppose, you know, being better, if you want to be technical, if it's, if Oklahoma's ranked 70th in the nation, that's still technically better than it was last year, but that's still not very good. So it still could be better. I mean, we, when you think of better, people probably think at least minimum a top 50 defense, if not a top 40 defense. And that seems a bit far-fetched considering that uh, there's a lot of players on this team that didn't perform last year and, Again, the culture takes time, and they're not going to magically learn how to play defense overnight. Lee, I noticed that in you know going over the players that OU lost on defense, I noticed that you didn't mention their two starting safeties from the last three seasons, Patrick Fields and Delarian Turner-Yell. Those were two three-year starters in the back end of their defense. Continuity in the secondary is a massive driver of year-over-year improvement on the defense. Historically in college football, Bill Connolly has pointed that out numerous times. Why are we so confident that this is an upgrade this year when they just lost two three-year starters on the back end? 
I hear Billy Bowman is potentially going to be a starter at safety. The guy couldn't even get on the field last year, last part of the year. Why is this guy all of a sudden going to be a great safety? Couldn't get on the field on a bad defense. So I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, the, the other guy that's supposedly going to play safety, Key Lawrence, was best at corner last year. Now he's going to play safety really well. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure Oklahoma knows what they're doing, if, if they even know if, if they have the right kind of personnel. They got some transfers in there, too, that they hope they can help out. I mean, they're probably going to need them because they could be going in and out, moving bodies in and out of that lineup early in the year because uh, there's only so much you can learn in fall camp and spring, and spring practice, but when the games start to get real and these guys inevitably start to make mistakes because they're inexperienced or they don't know how to play these certain positions, uh, it could be come a long season for Brent Venables and Ted Roof and, and the rest of that defensive staff. Yeah, I agree. Moving on. I don't have any like specific defensive positions. I just kind of did the whole defense there, and I think we kind of covered it all. Uh, oh wow, this is actually kind of the the last the last prompt I have. I guess this went by a little faster than I thought. Okay, so this is the last one. Maybe if we think of other ones, we'll make them up. But uh, the last one I have here on the rundown. Despite Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams, and Mario Williams all leaving to go to USC, Oklahoma will be a better football team in 2022 than they were last year now grant i want you to imagine just kind of close your eyes think this through imagine you're paul feinbaum and you're trying to fill time on your ridiculous marathon show that for some reason people listen to what do you say to make sure that you can take oklahoma fans and oklahoma down a couple pegs well i don't know guys uh OU was pretty lucky to go 11 and 2 last year in 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 a down big 12 that wasn't very good and you're telling me that they actually lost a lot of really good players, a lot of guys who got drafted. And so, right, if they were lucky to go 11 and 2 last year, they're naturally going to have some regression this season, right? Like, right? And so, what if like they could theoretically be just as good as they were last year, but go 7 and 5 instead of 11 and 2? And I feel like them being, you know, them being just as good as an 11 and 2 team last season, that's that's a pretty reasonable expectation for a brand new regime and a bunch of new key players and everything, right? And you're telling me that a team that lost their head coach and their starting quarterback, two of the most important roles in college football, and not just uh, they they didn't just lose a head coach and a quarterback; they lost maybe one of the best head coaches and offensive minds in college football, if not the best offensive mind. And depending on who you ask, maybe the best quarterback in college football. And they're going to be better without those players? That doesn't make any sense. That It's going to be immediately a downgrade at both spots. I know you got Brent Venables in here, but Brent Venables doesn't coach offense. He coaches defense. Sure, the defense could be better. Uh, but we don't know how Brent Venables can coach on game day. We know how Lincoln Riley can. He's had plenty of success winning games. I don't know if Brent Venables knows how to uh, hire an offensive coordinator and and send out an offense that can actually score a bunch of points. Maybe he can. We don't know that yet. Jeff Levy has a, a, a decent resume. It's, it's a it's a short resume, but so far so good. But we don't know what he can do at Oklahoma. And we don't know what Dylan Gabriel can do in the Big 12. He's only played at UCF. He hasn't played major college football consistently. So you're telling me that you're losing one of the best head coaches in the game and maybe the best quarterback in the game and your team's going to be better. I don't buy it. And actually, I, I think that's, you know, I think that, like that last prompt there, 
that's where most national writers who are outwardly skeptical of OU are. I think that's you. That's mostly the logic that they're using. And it's and like I I do think it's from an outside perspective, it's rational. It is. Yeah. Okay, so that's all the prompts I have for this particular exercise. I think that went well. I do. I that actually, was fun. I got I got one more. I got one more, and I think it's. Um, I guess yeah. I, I don't want to be too. But I, I'm because I'm slightly serious about this because I, I've been thinking about this one a lot the last couple of weeks, and I have mentioned it on on the podcast. But it's it's kind of my biggest sort of uh, pump the brakes thing because, and it has to do with Jerry Schmidt. And um, I know when Jerry Schmidt was first hired. I mean, I mean, he was hired like we were recording the podcast when it happened, and I was just like, I don't really like that. Those. Um, those kind of fears and worries have, have been definitely calmed since then, but it's gone. It's, it's now, it's now more swung to the fan base is sort of at this point in time is assuming that toughness and physicality and being strong and being able to move people off of the line, you know, mass moving mass, that's just instantly going to come back and that's going to pay dividends for this team. And they're just going to look so much different. And, um, I guess, you know, one of the biggest, one of the biggest rules that I have, like if you're going to be, if you're going to be a human being who kind of like consumes news, consumes information is you should always, always ask yourself if what you are reading, does it confirm all of your biases and all of your wildest dreams? And if it does, you should be instantly skeptical of it. And I think the rhetoric around Jerry Schmidt and his impact on the program has probably verged into that territory a little bit. And so I'm at the, like I, I I do think it's important. I think I think the strength and conditioning program is is really huge. There were warnings about Benny Wiley before he came to Oklahoma that I that I noted and that I was concerned about. And those those concerns do appear to kind of you know to have you know those were real. But also I do know that it took a while for for it to re, you know for it to recede to what it was under Benny Wiley. Remember you know. Jerry Schmidt was here in 2017. They almost won the Rose Bowl. He wasn't here in 2018, and they won the Joe Moore Award on the offensive line. Now, of course, every subsequent year, they got a little bit weaker, got a little bit worse, got a little bit, had a little bit less of a mean streak there. But if it took time for Benny Wiley's culture to kind of degrade to the point where they weren't super tough anymore, and that took a couple of years, I just think it's, 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 it's logical, and I, I think it's more realistic to expect that it's going to take a while for Jerry Schmidt as well. And hey, granted, there are a lot of guys who look like they have transformed their bodies. Billy Bowman being obviously the best example there. But man, I you know, is it is it super realistic to expect it to change overnight when Wiley has only been gone for eight months? And that's that's my biggest concern. I, I think that is as a fan base and what we're doing to project this team going, and this is me being totally serious, that is our biggest blind spot. We put way too much emphasis on Jerry Schmidt. Sure. I mean, that's not really a prompt for me to push back upon. I mean, I think if a national person had to comment on a strength coach for Oklahoma, they'd say, really, we're talking about the strength coach for Oklahoma? Yeah, I hear he's pretty good. Uh, Next question. So, I mean, (laughs) uh, I see what you're saying, obviously. I mean... Yeah, I want it it to be true also. I, I, I really, really do. I'm just like... Me just like it's it sounds a little too good too good to be true at times and it's it's making me rethink everything. That's fine. I, again, we're not going to know how much of an impact this has. I don't even know when. It's it's hard to quantify a lot of the time. It's just 
all we can use to measure is just, oh, this guy is bigger or this guy is stronger or this guy. And David Aguebu's case is actually slimmed down and he's he's thinner and supposedly moving faster. I'm actually kind of curious to see if David Aguebu actually does look like he's faster or if it's a load of crap. Because, I mean, he's down 20 pounds, but I don't know. I'll believe it when I see it if he can move better because, man, I... That was my big complaint about him in the podcast uh, for years. It's like, we got this speed D, but we got this big old David Uwebu that he can't move. He cannot move. I, don't tell me this guy can run fast. Uh, but then you got guys like Jalen Redman. You know, hopefully he's going to be able to play. I know Brent Venables is hoping he can have one of his best seasons. Hopefully he's healthy, but he's put on a bunch of weight. He's put on 10, 15 pounds and supposedly is just as fast, if not quicker. Um, and so what other players have benefited from this transformation uh, you could be right, uh, but I will say going into this year, just to go with the theme of like things are new, uh, you want to embrace uh, things that, I don't know, you want to embrace the optimism, I suppose. Uh, we were all kind of down on the way things were going with Benny Wiley, and so I'd like to think this matters in a positive way, uh, especially the way that they embraced Jerry Schmidt before the fall camp with that elite way and they all seem to really like the guy and and you know what's the old cliche they spend the most time around the strength coach and so i mean if they get along well with this guy and and maybe they are in better shape then you hope it matters it's just i don't know if how much we're going to be able to see the results of that in year one i don't know and that's it i i don't know because i i think i think the biggest you know the biggest positive that jerry schmidt's going to bring is is going to be more mentality wise because it does, it you know, I mean, it does take mental toughness to get through just extremely grueling workouts. And, you know, if all the reports about Benny Wiley, you know, are true, is that those workouts really weren't happening under him. And that's not to say that he wasn't doing stuff that was, that wouldn't be hard for the average, you know, person. But um, Jerry Schmidt's a totally different animal from from everything that that, that we've heard, so... Uh, but I don't know. It's it's all little. There, there's been sort of almost like a, like a messianic figure sort of built around Jerry Schmidt, and I, I maybe it's 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 logical to take a step back from that a little bit and look at it from a more rational perspective. Maybe the first time that the term messianic figure has ever been used on an Oklahoma football podcast. Let me take a couple moments to get my dictionary out to make sure I can check the definition. Hold on, let me just go and see here what this means. Oh, I mean, I feel I, like I feel like some, it's pretty some Wi-Fi problems. Hold on, here we go. Yeah, it's pretty easy to get from context. <laughs> you know, I mean, we're all we're all adults here. You you're educated. We're right? all, <laughs> I we did about forty forty five on uh, poking holes in Oklahoma season, and uh, you know, this is the uh, you know I, I didn't really want to say anything until the very end, but might as well get it out now. So uh, West of Everest is transitioning into a uh, Hook'em Horns podcast. Uh, so uh, welcome to East. No, I can't. Remind me of the That's lame. That's lame. <laughs> No, the one I always say, yeah, East of Space Mountain is always a good one. <laughs> uh, no, okay, this is obviously not a Texas podcast. So, okay, the rest of the podcast, let's talk about the Big 12. I know you want to talk about the Big 12 quite a bit and anything else college football-wise. And, and I'll be honest here, guys. I'll be fully transparent with you. I have not done as much studying and research onto this part as I would have liked, as I have in the past. And so just take that. Take all my uh, predictions, what's going to happen in college football, uh, take it to the bank because it's going to be right on point. Uh, all of my predictions will be correct because the least amount of preparation you do means that you will get things correct and right. This is what sports talk radio slash podcasts are all about, people. Let's go, Grant. Big 12. Let's talk about it. All right. What should we talk about? <laughs> so, okay, you've been telling me off air that you want to talk about the Big 12 a lot because, uh, well, spoiler alert, 
you don't think the Big 12 is going to be very good this season. And so I guess I want to explore that. Uh, why? I, you know, hold on. I'm going to take a guess. I'll take a guess and you tell me if this is a big reason why uh, the Big 12, in your estimation, is not going to be all that great. Is the Big 12 a bit down this season because going into the year, the preseason all Big 12 quarterback is Spencer Sanders? Is that is that a big reason why the Big 12 might be a little bit down? I mean, that's definitely a, a, a flag for sure. But yeah, I mean, I was actually just about to say, like, I mean, like on paper, the three best quarterbacks in this league, in my estimation, are Dylan Gabriel, Spencer Sanders, and Blake Shapin. Who? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I may you probably throw Adrian Martinez in, a, in ahead of Shapin. No, and and I I mean, I I'll be honest, like we both were ripping on Gary Bohannon all year and it's going to be pretty difficult for Blake Shapin not to be better than Gary Bohannon. Gary Bohannon was not a very good player. And that's a really good offense offensive coordinator there at Baylor, so uh, I'm assuming he's more talented than Gary Bohannon. All we have really to go off of is the Big 12 title game, which he was good in that game, but I don't know. I didn't. I didn't think he was like that great. Um, I mean, Gary Bohannon might have been able to do very similar things. Like Oklahoma's defense, uh, Oklahoma State's defense did not play that good of a game in the Big Twelve title game. Uh, so that's kind of what we're going off of. Uh, so yeah. Anyways, I just I wanted to comment on shaping. Yeah, but I mean, Adrian Martinez at Kansas State. That's that's definitely one of the more interesting storylines. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, Baylor was picked to win the Big Twelve by the media. I've talked about it on this podcast before. I don't get it. I'm not high on Baylor. Uh, I think Oklahoma should have been picked to finish first in the Big 12. And if I had to to make a pick on who the top two teams in the Big 12 will be at the end of the season, I'm taking Oklahoma, and I'm taking Oklahoma State. I think those are the two best teams, and uh, it, there's not a whole lot of reasoning behind it. I mean, you guys know my reasoning behind Oklahoma. Oklahoma State, I will buy into Spencer Sanders. Experience matters. Mike Gundy. He's the longest tenured coach in the conference. He's a, he's a really good coach. The offense is going to figure it out. And even though Jim Knowles is gone, and I think the defense is going to take a step back, that defensive line is really, really good. And they got a little bit of talent in the secondary. I know they like. Like Oklahoma, the linebacker group is a question mark at Oklahoma State. Uh, so, I mean, how good of a coach is Derek Mason? I don't know. I don't know how good of a defensive coordinator he's going to be. Uh, but I just I feel a lot more confident in Oklahoma State than I do right now and even a Baylor team that uh, they lost a lot of good players. I, I love Dave Aranda, uh, but I don't know. I just I feel a little bit better about Oklahoma State. It's probably my bias of being in Oklahoma, and, and I follow Oklahoma State closer than any other team aside from Oklahoma, uh, but that's the way I'm feeling right now. I'm not, I know we're not really picking the conference right now, but that's kind of the way I wanted to go with that uh, that discussion. No, I mean, I, I'm, I'm there with you, and so I, I have the same. I, um, I've gone back and forth with it. Well, you know, I, I've always had OU here. Um, really ever, you know, since late winter, early spring, kind of when I've been looking at this. And, you know, I've, I've gone back and forth between Oklahoma State and Kansas State for, for that second place um, in the conference. And as I was going through the schedule last night looking at things, I, I, I finally, I, I decided on Oklahoma State. Um, and I mostly, and, and it's, it's for a lot of reasons why I'm picking Oklahoma as just kind of like an easy pick. Um, Oklahoma State is clearly the second best program in this conference. Clearly. And they and they're established and ever since Mike Gundy has been there, they've been they've been one of the 20 best programs in all of college football. They now have an established good culture on defense. They've put they've put out two good defenses back-to-back seasons. I'm definitely still watching this year to see because, you know, there's 
a lot of really experienced players on those two defenses the past two seasons that they've graduated a lot or, or lost in the, in the in the transfer portal. But they also pretty much bring back everybody on their defensive line this season. Um, and it's going to be a really good defensive line. Um, I just, I, I, I guess that, I have more faith in Mike Gundy than Dave Aranda because Mike Gundy has been doing it for 16, 17 years. Dave Aranda has only had one good team as a head coach. Yeah, I know a lot of OU-centric, uh, I was going to say podcast, but just really, I mean, OU fans, you know, I'm not like this. Maybe I'm, I'm in the minority. People want to hear about Texas. I, Texas, I, I Texas just, is I extremely just, interesting. I know. I Just not to me they are. They just aren't. I, I, don't, I don't really care. I, I mean, their, their season win total set at like eight. I, I, I'm curious to see what Quinn Ewers looks like. I've never seen the – I never watched his high school tape. I don't know what he – kind of quarterback he is uh but you mentioned it, i think either last episode or two episodes ago i mean on the offensive line i think they're expecting to start a couple of freshmen uh and man I, what a terrible season a year ago i mean it could not have really have gone any worse I, I i was a big fan of sark i thought that was a pretty good hire i don't know if it is and kwikowski pete kwikowski the defensive coordinator I thought the defense would be a lot better. He had a lot of success at Washington. Maybe the Pac-12 is just bad, man. I mean, I, the defense was not very good either. So I'm not really sure what Texas is, uh, aside from a team that on paper always looks good and people get excited about. Uh, but like every year of this podcast, I'm not going to get worked up about the Longhorns. And, until they prove and show that they actually are a legitimate team, it's just going to be another team in the Big 12 that – I consider and then kind of move on from. I think uh, I think Pete Kwiatkowski was good in the Pac-12 because he had Vita Via, Buda Baker, you know, guys like that. Byron Murphy. That's why those defenses were good. He had okay. a, he, he had high level NFL players playing against Pac-12 guys. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, back to Texas, and so just where where I am, I guys, I, I have Texas going six and six this year and four and five in the Big Twelve. Ooh. Um, I you know I I think they're gonna be I I think they're gonna be pretty much the same team as they were last year, um, in, in terms of just like an effectiveness and everything, they're gonna have Bijan Robinson and, and Bijan Robinson is, is him and Deuce Vaughn are two best players in the Big Twelve, and Texas has that to, to lean on. Man, I when I say this like I don't say this lightly, Texas's offensive line a season ago Lee was really terrible. It was really bad. It's going to be worse this season. And I, you know, I, that's like, that's, that's, that's death for them. I, you know, especially when you have, when you're going to be relying on Bijan Robinson to kind of carry your offense, they're probably not going to be able to protect long enough to get guys downfield to, for Quinn Ewers to throw bombs. I, Texas, this, and, you know, three or so weeks ago, Lee, I was like, I was starting to feel like, ah, you know, I, you know, I could see Texas going nine and three. I could see them being kind of in that top four with Oklahoma and Oklahoma state and Baylor and all of that as, as, as guys who can kind of beat anybody on any given day. But as, as more, as more as their fall camp has gone on and more stuff has come out of their camp to me, Lee, it's starting to be pretty clear that it's, there's still a lot of problems there and they're not going to be very good this year. Uh, this is the time in the podcast where we would probably ask about Kansas State, and that's one of those preseason darlings. It seems like a lot of people are, are in love with K State. We both love Chris Kleiman. I, 
again, like I said, you know, minutes ago, I, I haven't done a deep dive. So part of me kind of wants to go against the narrative. You know, people like, ah, and we talked a few weeks ago, like, oh, take the over on K-State's win total. It's like at seven or seven and a half. I think it's seven. Uh, but part of me, like everyone's buying in them so much. Something tells me maybe something's off. I don't know. And it's totally emotional and has nothing, no, no bearing on any sort of evidence. But uh, I'm in a wait and see mode on Kansas State, whereas probably a month ago I'd have been like, yeah, here we go. Let's dial in another eight and eight, you know, eight, maybe nine win year for Chris Kleiman and the Wildcats. Uh, you know, but I guess it all probably hinges on Adrian Martinez and how he fits in with that offense because that's a big unknown, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so I have. I have Kansas State going nine and three, uh, six and three in the conference, and that's you know that's with my project that's fourth in the conference. That's K State finishing fourth, um, and you know I think at this point in time that's a pretty high ceiling for them. Um, so I think you know me picking them to go nine and three, that's a really really good season for them. And so I, I've I've also kind of started to cool on them a little bit. Uh, there's been some kind of reports in their in their fall camp. A lot of their stars really haven't been practicing on the same days. They've had guys who are banged up and sort of out with in, uh, injuries. And that's sort of the bit with Kansas State right now. The reason why you do feel good about them is because they do bring back the the, the best collection of proven, quote-unquote, stars in the league um, going into this season. But the problem with that is that everyone else around them are typical Kansas State players, presumably, who aren't going to be particularly talented, are going to need to scrap by, um, and Hey, I, you know, I, I saw a pretty, a pretty disinterested OU team go into Manhattan last season and kind of whip Kansas state up and down the field and not really care. And still almost lose the game though. Yeah. It, it, I mean, but it was, I mean, off of fluke stuff, they had that kickoff <laughs> return for a touchdown. They had, Gosh, I hope special teams are better. I hope special teams are better now Ugh, for Oklahoma. Any other thoughts on the big 12 before we talk about general national thoughts? Yeah. You know, I, um, Gosh, yeah. So the way that I had the standings work out, they're they're really weird. I, you know, I have had two six and six teams, Texas and TCU, both finishing six and six and four and five in the conference. And then I have I have a cluster of five and seven teams that you know at, at seven, eight, nine in the conference. That's West Virginia, Iowa State, and Texas Tech. Um, there are a few things that I'm pr- that I'm certain of going into this season, other than Iowa State is not going to win six games. Hmm. I, and I and I keep hearing and and I mostly hear this on the on the Oklahoma breakdown podcast with uh, with Teddy and Gabe because I think they kind of have some inside people and they're saying that there's a lot of people at, at Iowa State who are really excited about Hunter Deckers. I heard that nope. too. No, nope. heard that too. Nope. I'm not buying that one bit. That guy sucks. I I could not believe when I heard uh, I can't remember if it was Teddy or Gabe who said that. I think, well, they can be excited about the guy, but I from what we saw last year, I don't know why. I I. I, I the the Iowa State the Iowa States of the world where I I just I I have no idea how you think that you're gonna lose your the best offensive player in school history Brees Hall probably the second best quarterback you've ever had in school history uh you know Brock Purdy definitely the best tight end they've ever had Charlie Kohler the best tight end in the Big Twelve probably they lost one of their best defensive players in school history Mike Rose. Iowa State's gonna suck this year. <laughs> I, I five five and seven to me is being generous. Man, I'm curious. Like I have not heard anybody else say that. That would be such. I mean, you're you're pretty good at predicting Iowa State. You have a track record, right? I mean, was it uh, was it last year? You thought they'd be kind of off, and they were fine. Yeah, last. I mean, last year my line was they're going to be the exact same team yeah. as they were in 2020, and they were really lucky in 2020 because they were a top ten team in the preseason, and you were just like, what are we doing here? What do, 
what are we doing with Iowa State? As and and I was I was on board. I was like, I get it. I understand. And you and you were you were steadfast. You said no. And so hey, and I, I'll I, same thing. And we're we're gonna go to national here soon. But uh, the team that has the same profile, like you can point out this year, it's just it, they're it's not gonna work. Is Utah? Well, hold on real quick before we go to national. Is this the point where we got to bring up the Stu Mandel? predictions that people are talking about today on social media Do, does that even was that even we worth can. mentioning you know I, I i saw that and i saw you know i i saw a sooner scoop uh sooner scoop thread i saw a lot of people just kind of being in their feelings about it I, I i don't really understand why people care all that much about this um when i see when i see stuff like this i guess it's okay to care but when i see stuff like this i'm just like hook it into my veins this is why college football is awesome <laughs> I like this is it's 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 for the same reason why if OU is really good this year and USC disappoints it's going to be awesome to watch Colin Cowherd this fall yeah no I, that, that's a good way to put it I it's going to be great it's like if if we we all we're all pretty confident that Stu Mandel is really wrong about those predictions if we're really confident what's the problem he's going to look like a freaking idiot this year <laughs> and it's going to be delicious and fun for us thus uh. making college football fun when I see stuff like this I'm just like oh god yes the season is here. I love it. Well put. There's well like put. there's there's just no reason to be in your feelings and feel disrespect. Who cares? Yeah. It's no, you're like exactly there's right. not o, OU is the is man, they're one of five programs who are the biggest, baddest mothers on the block. Even Stu Mandel knows that. Who cares what he thinks? Who who cares that he thinks they're gonna go seven and five? Okay, so here in the run <laughs> here in the rundown I have I have wrote uh national topics. Time for random, uninformed takes that probably are wrong. So this is going to go well, I think. Uh, so, okay, the top three are pretty widely talked about. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State. Boring, the snooze. So I, I guess my first thought is I'm not going to argue against Alabama or Georgia. Ohio State, though, is where I'm going to say, are we sure Ohio State should be mentioned in the top three like they're just as good as those other, other two teams? Are we sure? Because I don't know. Uh, I'm not. I'm not the biggest. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of their quarterback. I think he's fine. And I'm. What, what the heck is his name? C.J. Stroud. Not not Bryce Love, the ex Stanford running. I, I I mixed Jordan Love and Bryce Thompson up in my mind, and now I just admitted it on the podcast. Uh, C.J. Stroud. Not the biggest fan of C.J. Stroud. I know they got their defensive coordinator in Jim Knowles, and I know they got a ton of talent. It's almost like it's only based off of all this talent. That Ohio State always has, which okay, I get it. Talent's important, but we were talking about this off the air. Jim Knowles, it took him until year three at Oklahoma State for that defense to start to look good. Granted, the talent he's working with at Ohio State's going to be different. It's going to be better, but that system must be somewhat complicated for them to take all that time to get to the point where they were actually performing well. And they needed veteran players over time to be in the system multiple years to finally get to the point where it was one of the best defenses in the Big 12. And then last year, one of the best defenses in college football. So, I am I mean, I guess the defense could be better. I just, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of biased against Ohio State. They're just, they're one of those big, boring, elite teams we always talk about. And I know Oklahoma was one of them too. I get it. Oklahoma was one of those big, boring, elite teams as well. Uh, and so it's kind of hypocritical to be kind of uh, – you know, negative about Ohio State. That's just the way they look to me, and but it's mainly because I'm just not the biggest C.J. Stroud guy. I think Justin Fields was a better player than C.J. Stroud, and I'm not so sure how good Justin Fields is really. 
So how far can C.J. Stroud take him? Justin Fields, I guess, got him to the he got him to the national title game, I suppose, that one year. So that's pretty good. But uh, so that's the one team, I guess, I'm filibustering. But I'll throw out like that's the first prompt: is are we sure Ohio State should be talked about in the same same sentence as Alabama and Georgia? Yeah, I'm actually I'm um, okay. Like I, I want to be I want to be fair about this. So like here, here we, so I Alabama and Georgia are going to kill everybody. They're both going to go 12 and 0 in the regular season, and no one's really going to challenge them. Um, I actually do believe that. I think Georgia's probably going to be just as dominant this season as they were last year. Uh, Alabama probably even more so. Um, Ohio State, I, I I think Ohio State is a clear number three going into this season. Um, I know a lot of people have them at number two, and I think it's it's useful to to give them credit for why they are there. Them going 10 and two last year, or 11 and two with the Rose Bowl win, definitely overshadowed Lee that they did have like a they had a 2017, 2018 OU, 2019 LSU type elite offense a season ago. They were that good on offense that year. That's or last season. And they were just they were pretty pretty meh on defense. And so where I'm going into this season, Ohio State, they bring back a lot of dudes from that offense, including their quarterback, most of their offensive line, Travion Henderson, who is one of the best running backs, probably I would say is the third best running back in college football behind the two Big 12 guys. Um, and they also bring back Jackson Smith and Jigba, who is by far the best receiver in college football. Um, and then and then a couple of five-star guys who who had really big games in the Rose Bowl, you know, a year ago. And I think everyone just assumes that they'll they'll pick up the slack, and they probably will. The thing about Ohio State that does give me pause is I I I question Ryan Day. And this is I don't I don't question his ability as an offensive coordinator. I don't question his ability to put up big time passing numbers, put his quarterbacks in good positions to complete forward passes. He's excellent at all of that. The reason why I'm skeptical of Ryan Day is because he has air raid roots, just like a guy who just left OU. And guys who have air raid roots, and this is something that we overlooked when Lincoln Riley was hired, they just have a certain way of doing things, man. And there's there's guys who come from the air raid tree, it just, for whatever reason, their programs tend to devolve into an offense versus defense type thing where the culture and the edge that you need to have is not quite there. And what I've been seeing from Ohio State ever since Ryan Day got there, and now we're talking essentially about the last two seasons, because Ohio State going into the playoff in the shortened COVID season, they weren't great on defense, and they got absolutely shredded by Alabama in the national title game. And then last year, last year was Ohio State's probably worst defense they've had in over a decade. And I am wondering, and I'm questioning, and this could be a projection coming from an OU fan, me just projecting out my own, own insecurities from Lincoln Riley being here, is that culture degrading at Ohio State as well, defensively? Has it become all offense there to the point where that's what they are emphasizing and they're not doing the dirty work that's required to have a really physical, hard-hitting defense? Well, there's a possibility that Ryan Day is thinking that. That's why I brought in Jim Knowles and paid him a bunch of money to come solve and fix the problem. And hey, Lincoln Riley paid Alex Grinch a whole bunch of money to come in and solve the problem. And it's, it's possible. Jim Knowles is a really good defensive coordinator. Really, really good. And so it's, 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 it's possible that he'll get there and he'll make things pretty much better overnight. I know Tanner McAllister being there is going to make that a lot easier on him for sure. But I don't know. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen how that hasn't particularly worked out at OU. Um, not being able to stem the tide, right, of just of a degrading culture on defense. What if that's what's happening at Ohio State too? And so what I do is I have Alabama and Georgia in their own separate tier. And I think I, I, I'm not going to say those two are super far ahead of Ohio State because I think Ohio State has a higher ceiling than both of those teams on the offensive side of the ball. 
But I, I, I do think it's possible that Ohio State sucks again on defense this year. Um, and and if, if that happens, it's going to be because of Ryan Day, not because of Knowles. Hmm. Um, and here, so here's, here's how I would put it. Alabama and Georgia are in their own tier at the top. Those are by the the national champion is going to, is going to be one of those two teams. I am fairly certain of that. Um, I'd put Ohio State in a tier by themselves below them because I think that they are capable of beating either of those teams on on a good day or maybe you know three out of ten times on paper right now. Um, and then I think you know after that there's another tier that's essentially Clemson, OU, Michigan, and Oregon that are that are going to be the ones that are vying for that, that fourth spot kind of in the playoff. And I think everyone else after that Lee is really, really even relatively speaking. And I think outside of essentially outside of those top two tiers with Alabama, Georgia and Ohio state, I think this is going to be, there's going to be a lot of parody in college football this year. So uh, I brought up Ohio state and that was the first thing. So I, do you want me to go on to the next thing, or do you do you have a different prompt that you want to go with and, and hit on? Because I, I have another one that I before I'm, I'm just kind of kind of going off the top of my head. Well, I guess I, I what do you think? Like, so I put so um, I, I said that Alabama and Georgia are my are my clear number two. Most you know, and most people's top most people's top threes are going Bama, Ohio State, and Georgia. Me, I'm saying that that Georgia is is pretty clearly ahead of Ohio State going into this year. What do you think about that? Because that's I, I haven't I haven't I haven't seen that I haven't seen a lot of people have that opinion. I'm not sure what Georgia has coming back on the defensive side of the ball. They were really good last year. I'm, I'm guessing they they probably lost a bunch of guys, so that's probably why. Yeah, Jalen Carter coming back, who a lot of people right now think is you know if a if if Stroud or, or Young doesn't go number one overall, it will be that guy. So I mean I I don't know, man. It to me it's it's just like they're really good so what let's watch them play I, I don't it doesn't matter to me I, I i think it's more interesting i'm not sure are we sure clemson should be up there like i think losing brent venables is a pretty darn big deal um i think that, they should because 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 of the talent they have and the recruiting they've done yeah and they they, they brought they, they bring back a lot of guys on their defense and i think they probably have the best defense in college football um yeah i mean with brent venables not being there maybe I don't know. That is, I mean, I'm curious to see how that plays out. I mean, and also, is DJ Ugalele going to be good? I know they they signed another, I think, elite five star. Klubnik. Klubnik? Cade Klubnik. It's, it's just Clemson's kind of the wild card for me. It's like, whereas like, and, I don't know. And, and I'm kind of on where I'm with Clemson is, and maybe I'm wrong about this because I, I feel like I'm kind of sort of out to lunch with this one too, with you know, with everyone else. I think Clemson is going to go back to absolutely demoralizing the ACC this year. I think they're going to kill everybody. So they're going to have an offense. You're, you think? I, mean, uh, they I have think they have an offense. No, I think I, th- I think their offense is going to is going to be like. Listen, it's totally okay to be skeptical of Clemson when you know they had. If you go by SP plus, their offense was like finished like in the hundreds last year. That's terrible. I think yeah, I think it's reasonable to suspect that Clemson can get to the forties and the fifties, and I think they are going to have the best defense in college football, and I think that's going to be good enough to run through the ACC. You have the best defense in college football, and they just lost Brent Venables. That doesn't really bode well for Oklahoma, then. That he's not that important. No, that's. I'd say he's very important. That's that's like they're going to have the best defense as you know because of the culture that he laid, the ground that he laid before that. I mean, there's a lot of those guys are there were recruited by BV, taught by BV, coached by BV. It's that stuff doesn't just go away, right? The Joe Moore, like you know, OU won the Joe Moore Award in 2018, and Jerry Schmidt wasn't there anymore. Okay. Other than that, uh, I mean, this kind of stuff, I, I just, 
I don't know. I mean, we've talked about USC before, whatever. We'll see what happens with, with the Trojans. Um, um, I, I got some. I'll, I'll just I'll just throw some stuff out there because and, and I'm sure none of this is going to ignite a ton of passion in you, but I already said Utah's overrated. They're going to lose to Florida in week one. Oh, Utah plays Florida in week one. In huh? the swamp. I mean, that's not crazy. I mean, Florida's going to be favored in that game, right? Uh, I think Utah is favored by two and a half as of right now. So, I mean, Utah's a team that I would, I mean, I'm going to, a lot of people are going to pick them to win the Pac-12. I mean, uh, well, I should say a lot of people are going to pick USC, but I mean, Utah's kind of the smarter, like, money pick. But I, I mean, the reason why Utah's getting a lot of love is because they're a returning quarterback, right? Like, they actually have some con- continuity at the quarterback position, and their defense is always really good. And Kyle Whittingham's a great coach. So, I mean, sounds good to me, but. Going to Utah, Florida—that's pretty interesting. That's a—that's a—that's a, that's a great week one. It's a matchup you don't get a whole very, lot. Very, very happy that that game is a thing. But I'm not comfortable saying that they're overrated or underrated. I just, again, like I—I I just have not. I've kind of found myself over the years, especially this, putting the time into looking at either one, each one of these teams. I, I just, I just want to see games, man. I just want to see games. Uh, I mean. USC and Oklahoma are easy because we know a lot about those schools, mainly because of the coaching staffs and stuff. But after that, show me the games, and then I'll make some. I'll make some calls. Well, yeah, I mean, I so my my logic with Utah is essentially, and hey, you and I, we both picked them to win the Pac-12 a season ago. We we got that right. <laughs> um, but the thing is, though, we we were really lucky that we got that right because Utah was a complete disaster at the beginning of the season last year. And it was just over time. The reason why I picked Utah is because going into the last year, they just they, they had a lot of they had a lot of seniors on defense. They had a lot of seniors on defense. They had some guys who they had some seniors who had to step into roles who had, who had not previously been starters. And their defense just wasn't very good in the first three or four games of the season last year. It took a while for them to be to, to get established and to turn into the Utah that they were. And they lost a ton of guys off their defense. Which has always, which has always been kind of the lifeblood of their of their program, and you know they they lost their best receiver, Britton Covey, and I think I think Cam Rising is good, and I think Tavion Thomas is good, both uh, previous Oklahoma commits at one point in time. But I just I I highly doubt that Utah has a bunch of good players waiting to you know waiting in the wings that are going to be right there, ready to go right from the beginning. That's going to allow them to win eleven or twelve games in the regular season. That's just. Nah, I mean they're they're always gonna have to deal with that, you know, with that talent disadvantage and everything. So uh, I like Oregon in the Pac-12. I think uh, I think they're gonna win. They're gonna win the conference, uh, mostly because Lincoln Riley being you know being hired at USC is totally totally overshadowed what was a really really good hire, um, or what was something that was really good for Oregon, which is they don't have Mario Cristobal anymore and they upgraded with Dan Lanning. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just. We're on the same page with Mario Cristobal. I, I don't have any strong thoughts on Dan Lanning. I mean, that guy, super young. Congrats, man. You were the defensive coordinator at Georgia last year. Uh, cool. Like, a lot of defensive coordinators would have probably been able to coordinate a great defense with those guys. Super. Like, go do it in the Pac-12, then, okay, great. Good for you. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I know he's pretty well-respected. He's super young. But it's more fun to talk about Mario Cristobal because I just every year that Justin Herbert just looks so much better and so good in the NFL, you're like, okay, man, like, what were you doing at Oregon? I, I just like, how did how did you not dominate and even like compete for a playoff with this guy who was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL? I just 
that dude and he's like he's an offensive guy he's an offensive line type guy but he's got an offensive background and i mean i guess over time maybe you can't knock a guy for that because whatever time matters but no i mean i think this is this is totally fair and it's it's really important to bring it up now because he's going to Miami where and Tyler Van Dyke is there too. And if I'm Van Dyke, I'm I'm not super happy about that. Because I saw I saw the career that Justin Herbert had at Oregon. And hey, Herbert was I guess he's still a good enough career at Oregon where he was drafted sixth overall. Man, go look at that guy's numbers. He didn't have a very good career. No, it just He just he wasn't very effective. He was one of those guys that size wise and everything, it made sense. You think, oh, that this guy's got all the tools and everything to be a, a first round quarterback, but it's you watch the tape and you see him on the field. And you're like, he's not putting it together. I don't get it. He's not seeing things. It's just he's okay. He's not. He's not a guy that you're like super scared about. <laughs> he goes to the Chargers and he's been incredible, instantly awesome. It's I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense. And so Mario Cristobal is hey, he's a good recruiter. We have a lot of metrics that that show who is a good recruiter and who's not. And I can I can definitively say that Mario Cristobal is a good recruiter. I think there's enough evidence right now, and he's, he's been a head coach at two spots. He's been fired at one of them. He's a massive underachiever as a head coach, and I think Miami is probably going to be firing him in a few years as, as well because there's no possible way that he's going to live up to the expectations that they have for him because he has been given unrealistic expectations by the media, by people around him. He's never really been that successful. It's, it's, not, it's, no, it's, it's not quite as bad as Willie Taggart, but <laughs> okay. it's... it's it's definitely not it's, really close as it's, bad. It's it's nowhere Taggart. near as bad as Willie Taggart, but it's 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 in it's in kind of the same zip code. <laughs> uh, so we do have some comments and stuff from social media that we can hit on at, at the end of this. I just wanted to throw that out there so we don't forget. But uh, uh, any other thoughts on any of these other national teams? Um, I guess I have a couple of things. Like I. I know a lot of people have been talking. You're not going to care about this. A lot of people have been talking themselves into North Carolina State. Um, you know, for, for logical reasons, they got, they pretty much have their entire team back. They had a top 10 defense in college football last year and they have every starter back. They have a quarterback back who threw like 35 tutties and and five picks only. That makes sense. Um, I'm not buying into it because they're NC state. (laughs) Yeah. I have no thoughts on that, Uh, but I do have thoughts on Michigan state. I am, uh, I'm just not a Mel Tucker fan. I am stunned that they had as much success as they had last season. Dude's not a good coach. Dude's not a good coach. And and Michigan State paid him a lot of money. And it looked good at last season. It's not going to end well. And so that could be a team just out of my spite for him. And here's why. Here's why. It goes back years. He coordinated, I think, the worst defense in Chicago Bears history. So the dude just burned me man i not a big fan of him and then he ends up going to alabama somehow and learns how to be a defensive coach i guess and then gets a job at michigan i i just don't he was at georgia not alabama my bad okay really was he was georgia i thought it was bama he was george i thought he was kirby smart's defensive coordinator i'll have to fact check that i'm pretty sure he, he, he was at bama uh I'm pretty sure it's Alabama's defensive coordinator. Uh, Pete Golding has been at Bama for like five or six years now. All right. I'm going to go ahead and Mel Tucker Wikipedia page it up. But the point being is that Michigan State, I'm not really sure what their win total is for 2022. I guess I could look that up. But I kind of feel like hammering the under. Yeah, he was at Alabama in 2015. Oh, and also Georgia. So he was at both. (laughs) 
He went from Bama to Georgia. He went from the Bears and the worst defensive coordinator in the NFL to Bama, then Georgia. And then he got a head coaching job at Colorado for a year and then Michigan State. I, I just – I don't know, man. I, You know, if he has a great season again this year, then I'll have to eat some crow and I'll, I'll be wrong. But something tells me Michigan State might not be as good this year as they were last year. You know, I, I – you know, I – yeah. You know, Michigan State was, was, was pretty lucky to, to win double-digit games last season. Uh, won a lot of close games. You know, I, I don't really have – uh, an opinion on them yet this year Michigan State for me is is always that team they're Michigan State's just one of the most boring programs in the entire country um they don't really ignite too much passion in me I don't really have a lot of thoughts about them um I do know that I mean the last game that Mel Tucker coached he let OU's backup quarterback beat him for you know as the quarterback for Pittsburgh in the Cotton Bowl so <laughs> hey that's that's one thing that oh like I know that nobody is super jazzed about Davis Bevel being the backup quarterback, but put some respect on that name, man. You're talking about Cotton Bowl champion Davis Bevel. <laughs> if you if you were telling me it's like, yeah, you know, your backup's not great, but hey, he 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 started a Cotton Bowl and and won the game. I'd be pretty happy about that. All right, what else? Should we move on to comments and questions? Uh, I got well, I I had a, I had a few others. I, I guess. Um, I, I was going to bring up Arkansas um, as as a team I kind of like just in, in general, but um, that's 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 a team. Their schedule is too brutal for them to have like you know results wise on their schedule to you know to point to to be proud of, which sucks for them. Um, and then other things, you know, I, I was I, I wanted to identify some unranked teams that I think could kind of come up and surprise people. Uh, and I just kind of went through, and I you know I, Tennessee, Minnesota, UCLA, and LSU. Um, are the ones LSU being the big one there? I, they're they're going to be extremely successful under Brian Kelly. People who think that they're not are crazy. Um, yeah, that's that's basically all I got. I'm I'm so excited for college football. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I, I think Brian Kelly's a great coach. He's been successful everywhere he's gone. And now he's going to a place where he'll be able to recruit really well. And I mean, he has that background. He has that resume. So, I, like all I say about LSU is, man, they've they've won two national titles since 2006 with two bad head coaches and they have a good head coach now. <laughs> all right, let's go to the West of Evers Facebook page. We have a comment from Joby. Joby says, how much will the quarterback run game factor into the playbook with Oklahoma's apparent lack of depth at the position? Haven't thought much about that. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, should we punch up his, his, his running stats? He doesn't run that much. He can. Uh, but it's a good question, though, because Matt Corral ran a bunch last year in Jeff Levy's system at Ole Miss. So uh, there's no way Dylan Gabriel will carry the ball over 100 times like Matt Corral did last year. There's no chance. No way, no how. Gosh, I hope not. That would be that would be unforgivable. There's You cannot. And like, hey, you know, I and we talked about this before we got on. Like, I'm. Like all, all of the people who are like, oh gosh, if Dylan Gabriel gets hurt, OU's going to go six and six, seven and five. No, no, guys, no, they don't. OU doesn't turn into TCU this year if if Dylan Gabriel gets hurt. They they still have the best players in the conference. Um, they they I I would still I would still tap them as the favorite to win the conference if Davis Bevel was their quarterback. Um, gosh, where was I going with that? What were well, we talking about? Uh, I mean, quarterback run game. I'm looking back at. Oh the no, I I really hope that he's not running a lot. Well, and he's not a runner. You look at his stats. I mean, he's got a lot of attempts. The two seasons he played a full year, he had 71 attempts in 2019 when Levy was the offensive coordinator, and then in 2020 he had 72. But it's not not for a bunch of yards. I mean, this is just him scrambling. I mean, he only had he had 71 rushes 
for 78 yards in 2019. So that was just him, obviously, you know, running away from sacks and whatnot. And then he only had 169 yards rushing in 2020 and in 72 carries. So the quarterback run game with Dylan Gabriel as a quarterback is just not not really a thing. I mean, he can he can move if he has to, but don't anticipate that being a a big part of Jeff Levy's offense. At least that's what history would suggest based on the stats. Did you have a? I know we we had a tweet. Yeah, that, I wanted to, I you, wanted to bring it up because yeah. I thought it, I I do think it's kind of interesting. And um, this is from Brett Crawford on uh, on Twitter, and so he, he wanted to know how we felt about uh, about the the transfers that came in, especially the upperclassmen, the guys who have played a lot of football in their careers. And so he says, you know, if the North Carolina or if the if the you know UNC and Wyoming transfer don't get playing time. He says, do Venables and company owe, owe them an apology? Why transfer of guaranteed playing time wasn't offered? And so, like, I think, so I, I, don't, I don't know if I would say, you know, they owe them an apology, but I do think it brings up a really interesting question of, you know, OU did bring in a lot of guys who have a lot of college experience, and you start to go over the depth chart, you start to go over who can play, especially in the secondary, and it does start to sink in. Like, there, there's not enough snaps for all of these guys. There just isn't. So guys that they brought in, so one of, you know, CJ Colden, Trey Morrison, Jonah Laulu, stuff like, you know, TD Roof would have been including that if he wouldn't have gotten hurt. You know, one or two of those guys is not going to play a big part on this team. Um, and I am really interested in the human aspect of that for sure. What, you know, what does that say about them? What assurances were they given before they came here that they would play? My guess is probably none. They were probably given just, they were probably told they were going to give an opportunity in all likelihood. Um, but I, I think it is really interesting. What if, you know, CJ Colden arguably was Wyoming's best player on their defense a season ago. What if he comes in here and he can't get a snap? He can't get a snap. He can't come in. He can't play. You know, what does that say? What does he do? That definitely sucks for him for sure. Um, Morrison is another good example. That guy's that guy started a lot of games in college football. I'm going through the two deep right now. I don't think Morrison is going to be a starter on this team. I don't know how many snaps he's going to play. How does that work? Does that, you know, is are are they going to be are they going to be good foot soldiers throughout the course of the season? Is there any locker room issues? I'm interested in stuff like that because and that's this is a totally new dynamic in college football. We haven't really ever had to dealt with that before. Yeah, and well said. I mean, Morrison's the one that we've briefly mentioned on this podcast maybe once in the spring and maybe once in the fall. Is I haven't heard anything about Trey Morrison. Nothing. I mean, he's out there. I've seen him at practice. And whenever he signed, he brought it was brought on. It was like, oh, this guy's coming from North Carolina. He's got a lot of starting experience. Okay, great. Here we go. Like, maybe he'll compete for a starting spot. And now it's it's not even it doesn't even seem like he's in line, not even close. Because again, we don't we don't hear about him. And to be fair, I haven't heard a whole lot about C.J. Colden either. Um, I mean, the guys that we know they love, we know they they love Woody Washington. Woody Washington's cemented in, uh, and they seem to really like Billy Bowman. And I think they like Key Lawrence a lot. And I know there's rumors that Justin Harrington. It's Harrington. Is, those is are the, those guys on. you just mentioned. Those are the DBs that we've heard the most about this fall. So it's, and Jaden Davis. Man, oh, man, I love Jaden Davis. That would be if he has a successful year and plays a lot. Oh man, that's uh, all I, the. I mean, talk about well, all the feel good. Yeah, we said this last week, man. Talk about referendums on the previous staff. <laughs> Jaden Davis, and we haven't even mentioned Marcus Major. <laughs> Marcus. Well, we wish the best for all of these players. Uh, but good question, Brett. Thank you for that question on Twitter. Appreciate it. Whew. Okay, so 
I'm about tapped out. I, I don't know where to go from here. Um, we got a we got a, a game to prepare for next week. We should have done our we should have done the picks for week zero. We should have had our picks. I think everyone wants to know who, oh who, who, who we're taking in Northwestern and in Nebraska. I figured you'd bring up week zero. I have zero. never. I, well, why wouldn't I? I've never. I've never been more excited to watch a Nebraska Northwestern game in my entire life. You know what the most egregious thing about week zero is though? According to ESPN, I, you know, I, I could have done more research, but they're pretty good with this. The UTEP North Texas game. Not on TV. Yeah, it's on Stadium. It's on Stadium. Okay, yeah, so, so if, you be... have, if you have YouTube TV, you'll be able to watch it. But I also think Stadium TV is free if you just go to the URL. Oh, okay. Well, never oh, mind I, I, already, I already looked this up. Instant I, fact checked. All right. I, I already looked this up. I Good. was really disappointed when I saw that there wasn't any sort of network slated for it. Did a little bit of research, and oh, thank God. It is on Stadium. So ESPN must just be totally against Stadium then, because they even put, they'll put CBS on here. They'll put ACC Network, but... Stadium, nope, we're going to leave you out. So that's good, though, because, I mean, we're going to have to watch every single snap of UTEP North Texas and then every single snap, obviously, of Nebraska Northwestern. I mean. Yes. <laughs> go <Yep>. on. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh huh. And by the way, so not that this matters, I'm, I'm actually pretty excited. Like, this is actually the first time in a long time Grant and I have done a podcast in the same exact room. We were in the same room together in Minnesota, and I'm on vacation, and we'll get to watch the Nebraska Northwestern game. Uh, un, unencumbered i'm actually i don't have to work and uh it's you know what 11 30 a.m kick so that's gonna be a great start to the college football season I'm really excited for that that's really really awesome hey lee this is the first podcast that we've done in the same room since the week that they were supposed to play west virginia in morgantown in the covid year that game got canceled as the last time we did a podcast in the same that's room. right that's right wow that was Thanksgiving game week. got canceled. Wow, that's just so... Okay. Um, all right. Well, that is the big season preview. A little different this year, but, uh, uh, you know, we got to keep things fresh on the podcast, um, and hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, as always, give us a, a review, a rating on iTunes. You can leave us a rating on Spotify for listen there. We really appreciate it. And always on the West of Everest Facebook page, you can leave us a note, leave us a comment. Uh, and on Twitter... I am at Lee Benson News 9. Grant is at Grant Benson 25. We are on there as well. Uh, and yeah, college football is upon us. We'll have, wow, some, I, I guess we're going to talk about UTEP next week and Nebraska and Northwestern and everything else. So should be fun time. It's going to be a deep dive on UTEP, man. I can't wait. Actually, a UTEP team that played in a bowl game a season ago. I mean, the two f- teams they play first, UTEP and Kent State, played bowl games last year. Like these aren't. These Kent aren't State, your typical a, FCS garbage teams. Kent State, that one's going to be a useful game because they, uh, they're a team that had a pretty explosive offense a season ago, and they move at a really quick pace. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I think that's going to be a nice little test for OU's new defense. They've had a lot of practice against it in, uh, in camp and spring and everything. So uh, here we go, everyone. We're there. We're, you know, we're there. Um, college football is back, and we are super excited, and we are looking forward to you all joining us on this ride. So until next time, for Grant. I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.